0: Minister Chung, did you say something? Give Philip Price what he wants. I'm sorry? Let him know that we will arrange a Deus Group meeting to confirm a successor. But, sir... Schedule the meeting for tomorrow. Tomorrow? If there's one way to disrupt a man's plans, it is to destabilize his timeline. Hello, friend.
1: friend, and welcome to another episode of this wonderful Mr. Robot podcast. I'm Margaret, and I'm here with Henry, and we are both really excited to talk with you about Season 4, Episode 3, called 403 Forbidden. Hey, Henry, how are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing great, Margaret. I'm wearing a dress. How about you?
1: (laughs) I haven't worn a dress since the prom. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, No, I'm doing really pretty good. As you know, I'm in the middle of moving. I do want to thank our listeners. A few of you have written to not only give feedback on the show but there was a little bit of a glitch with the episode I uploaded. And one of our users let us know, and I mean, audience members, we're not talking software here. And I fixed it right away. So thanks to everyone for your patience. It's been a little bit of a hectic time. I, I know I can speak for myself. I, I don't know about you, Henry.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the, between the all the things happening on the show in real life, uh, you know, things break, we fix them. Life goes on.
1: Yeah, but I'm so excited about all of the listeners we have, both new and folks who have been with us for previous seasons. So, with that in mind, what did you think of the third episode of the final season of Mr. Robot?
0: I think this is uh, one of those setup episodes. You know, we we learn about White Rose's backstory, which provides, you know, future motivation uh, for us to understand why he's going to maybe do the things that he's going to do uh you know more uh things suggested about what the package might be and his plans you know for me it seems like uh you know some of the things that we learn here make me think more about time travel you know about his motivation to try to undo something that happened in the past um and it's you know kind of goes into what angelo is told where she was thinking that someone who she lost could be brought back so uh, to me, it's uh, it's interesting to think about what I learned about White Rose, that lens. And it was also beautifully shot.
1: It was really beautifully shot. I, I thought this episode was pretty good. I felt like it was a little slow in parts. I think that some of the backstory, while I thought it was pretty compelling, I could have done with a little less of it. But I did love the opening scene for so many reasons, where we flashed back to 1982. IBM and the future White Rose and White Rose's associate named Chen. They are also in a relationship with each other. We really saw the beginning of the opening of trade and industry between the United States and China. I, I loved how IBM was portrayed as extremely buttoned up, and they were approaching White Rose and White Rose's colleague with, you know, okay, so we're going to make a ton of money from you licensing our technology. And, and White Rose was sort of like, uh-huh, sure. I, I look forward to stealing all of your intellectual property. And as you know, that's been an issue between Silicon Valley and lots of different places overseas been coming out especially lately with all of the trade discussions with China what did you think that was pretty prescient
0: uh, I mean when two con men are negotiating against each other both of them thinks that they're going to rip the other person off right and it's sometimes only with hindsight that you can see who was foolish to think that way who was smart and I think yeah I think and I think it goes back a, a very long time you know I'm sure uh, you know when various people have entered like the Chinese market, they thought they were going to dominate and it turned out in actuality that they were just opening a bridge for the China market to dominate their industry. I think it's easy to forget, especially from the vantage of where we sit, how a conservative China would have been during this period and how a relationship like the one that we see here would be uh, fatal for everyone involved.
1: Yeah, I really appreciated when we cut to the hotel room that we saw Culture Club performing the thematically relevant song, Time, also known as Clock of the Heart, probably not so ironically, on the very 80s style television. It was a really interesting contrast between these two lovers who felt like they were unable to live their true selves in their home country and they wanted to move to the U.S. where it probably isn't much better, at least in the 80s, but at least they could have lived more openly. And I thought that was a pretty cool contrast on the 80s style television that they had an advertisement for John Carpenter's The Thing and also for an early USA network. I also appreciated that White Rose and Chen, even in the midst of being together and so in love we're still driven by time the market forces of wall street really make you have to live life down to the second
0: yeah i i think that's the one thing in business and law that you always want to be mindful of are deadlines that are non-fungible right like things where you know the courthouse door closes the filing deadline passes and you have forever barred yourself from any further opportunity. Like Those are always the things to keep in mind of.
1: And then there were some really beautiful shots of people's reflections and mirrors multiple times, which I thought represented multiple personalities or multiple personas, maybe better put. In a beautiful scene, White Rose reveals her true self to Chen wearing one fabulous dress that used to belong to her mother. We cut to the present day where White Rose wants to wear this dress when their project ships. I just really appreciate how unforgiving and relentless this assistant is in letting White Rose know how much she's just making a million mistakes. The last time an assistant was like that with White Rose, it didn't really turn out so well for him. The assistant recommends, hey, you need to forget about giving Philip Price what he's asking for and keep closer tabs on Elliot because everybody hates Elliot. There's no such thing as a coincidence. She's sort of admonishing her boss. But White Rose says, keep surveillance on Elliot. And definitely make sure that we give Philip Price everything that he wants. And again, we're really seeing another socially engineered honey trap. Yeah, absolutely. Creates a huge justification for that. And then, you know, we we saw some really beautifully shot scenes of of a very depressing arranged marriage, which was a real matter of despair for the groom. The gift to the groom was white roses, so now we know where that metaphor came from. I guess white roses are what you would send for a funeral, and and they were sent as a joke?
0: Yeah, white roses are kind of like a, a funeral uh like the color white in asia is often associated with funerals uh instead of weddings and it you know and when you look at the scene it's striking how white rose is dressed in black his lover is dressed in white uh the floor is black and white it's this duality right and this idea that uh, part of the duality passes.
1: If I put myself in White Rose's position, I would have been eternally damaged knowing that my joke went completely awry and resulted in just maybe the final nail in the coffin, which resulted in a very bloody suicide on the part of the groom and a shot of bloodied White Rose's
0: it stylistically reminded me of like a Warren Carr Y film. I don't know if you know who that is. Like He did Chunking Mansion and some other films that were like set in Asia and the color palette and the, the visual style is very similar to me.
1: I have to check that out. I have to wonder with the scenes with, between the White Rose and their lover earlier on, or sort of at the beginning of this episode, I, it did make me think of all the stuff that's been coming out in the news lately around censorship well, I just heard that Quentin Tarantino has had his film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood banned from hearing in China because he refused to cut those incredibly offensive scenes where he was portraying Bruce Lee And I mean, I thought it was incredibly offensive. But it feeds into the larger discourse of making stuff that censors abroad will approve of. And I had to wonder what these scenes, I mean, I guess you'll never see Mr. Robot in certain corners of the world but it did make me think about the whole censorship issue.
0: Although given that Bruce Lee has become a symbol of the Hong Kong resistance movement, maybe China doesn't mind a movie that portrays Bruce Lee as, you know, something less than noble.
1: That's pretty interesting. All I know is Tarantino refused to cut those scenes with Bruce Lee and the film got pulled. Maybe the censors wanted to Cold because Bruce Lee is a symbol of resistance. I totally hear what you're saying. You would think, just like Winnie the Pooh has become a symbol, or even, ironically, Pepe the Frog has a totally different meaning around the Hong Kong protest than it does here in the U.S., Yeah, to that point, in fact, there's the old mint in downtown San Francisco at 6'3". It's surrounded by a wrought iron fence, as you know. And if you look at the design on different parts of the fence on the corners, because this was built in 1854, there are swastika symbols that are part of the motif in the wrought iron. Obviously never meant to imply what it meant during the Second World War, but you're right, it's really fascinating to see how symbols permutate over time, I was really surprised when I discovered Pepe the Frog was a symbol of resistance in Hong Kong, when here it's just the opposite.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to, to see all this play out in real time.
1: Yes. And so anyway, White Rose says to their assistant, hey, you know what, we're going to give Philip Price what he wants, but we're going to mess with his sense of time. And instead of having the meeting happen New Year's Eve, let's have it, have it happen around Christmas time which I think is pretty brilliant. And then they want to then White Rose wants to offer the CEO position to Wellick of all people.
0: Yeah, and that that's a little bit of a mystery as to why he wants that and even his assistant seems a bit surprised.
1: It does seem like a little neatly packed together. Then we cut to the opening credits so we see a whole huge part of the episode before the opening credits even appear and then we hear a voiceover from Mr. Robot complaining that Elliot is just building up a wall and it's just even impossible to reach him. That wall gets a little bit um, shattered or, or cracks and it start to appear when Elliot runs into his therapist, Krista, who seems pretty terrified of him.
0: I think as well she should. I, I would want to avoid Elliot if uh, I was her.
1: Well, as we'll see later on in the episode, right, her sense of uh, foreboding was very well uh, placed. And then we go to Darlene and Elliot at all safe. But if you notice in the background, it doesn't say all safe anymore. It says AI safe.
0: Yeah, I I was trying to think about, you know, why uh, they would be hanging out there. And, you know, the the symbolism for uh, the writers to choose that location. I, ne- I didn't figure it out, but it's just something that I noticed and thought about.
1: This is where they discover the US based contact for the Cypress Bank because they don't have too many uh, stateside in North America. Her name happens to be Olivia Cortez, and they're able to hack into her system and see all sorts of things like her OK Qubit dates, her divorce agreement with uh, the whole terms around keeping her children sort of having some sort of custody over children. She has to remain drug-free. This is all the stuff that they're using to sort of build up a profile of Olivia to get to the Cypress Bank. Both Mr. Robot and Elliot are sort of working together to try to figure out what they can do in with Darlene to crack into her space and everything they're coming up with isn't really working
0: you know uh, I'm, I'm taking a look at the image of the scene where elliot's looking into the two monitors and darlene's on the chair next to him and mr robot is in a chair uh, to his left uh, on a laptop and if you look at the monitors that elliot has in front of him he has two monitors in front of him and he has an empty monitor stand to his right um, that's missing a screen And if you think about it, maybe that missing screen is actually what Mr. Robot is looking at through his laptop. And that's like a symbolism of how he's compartmentalized things.
1: Yep. Yeah, there are so many of these hidden elements that if you just kind of look at the different scenes, they're so carefully set up. That's a very good point. They're throwing around a lot of jargon. Darlene's going to deal with the ss7 license which is a type of telecommunications architecture which i guess darlene's going to try to hack into darlene wants to accompany elliot and mr robot to break into olivia cortez's apartment because you know she wants to be part of the action elliot really strong arms her and i thought that was pretty disturbing the way he was a little violent with darlene
0: yeah i mean he elliot's uh Persona is stretching, right? It's doing things a little bit outside his comfort zone. Whether it's being physical, uh, to the point of violence, or talking to strange women at bars uh, and going home with them and sleeping with them, these are all things that are out of the character, uh, you know, out of character for Elliot traditionally.
1: When they break into Olivia's apartment, he discovers that she has an oxycontin addiction, or she's in. He knows that violates her custody agreement. They basically realize that Olivia has a date on Christmas Eve, which is, oh, that's so sad to have an okay, Cupid date on Christmas Eve.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't realize that was a thing, but although thinking about it, like if you think about the Venn diagram where you're a subset of men, uh, like as a man, for example, I'm a subset of men who are looking to have a date on Christmas Eve. And uh, my available pool is women who are looking to have a date on Christmas Eve. Like, that, those are kind of two groups of people that are in very unusual circumstances or places in their life.
1: Yeah, even if it is New York City, where there's something for everyone in, in this town, which is where I happen to be right now. It was really sad and depressing in a lot of ways, but they head to the bar where they know she's going to be and eventually they chat her up but event but we do cut to a very familiar hideous painting in a diner and it looks like that's where the dreaded Fernando Vera is working selling drugs to moms who are sending their little kids on Christmas Eve I might add stuffing the drugs inside the chicken or the turkey or whatever it is and then wrapping it up for the kids to take back to their moms and I thought that was pretty depressing for one and vile and I thought the way that Vera interacted with his crony the guy who was supposed to be spying on Elliot who couldn't really sort of characterize what was going on I felt like that scene was a little bit overplayed.
0: Yeah, it seems so over the top to me that I wondered if it was like somehow imaginary or, you know, were the people like personas of Elliot or something, you know, because it seems so over the top to shoot a guy because he didn't do a good job of presenting the data. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, someone coming and giving a PowerPoint presentation and not liking the, the his use of graphics and throwing chairs at and sharp objects at him. It just seems a little bit overdone.
1: Both Elliot and Mr. Robot seem very concerned about Fernando Vera. I thought it was really surprising because he's not really been that central of a character. I mean, they've hinted that he might come back into play, but um, their concern for him, given everything else that's going on, it seems a little misplaced. But uh, Vera was very interested in seeing, you know, what's Elliot doing what's he feeling and then when he found out he was speaking with Krista poor Krista he asked the guy what was he feeling and when that guy couldn't answer the little kid was able to read it and it was really ugh, a terrible scene when Vera sh- shot his colleague and that little kid just sat there like nothing happened
0: to me it was like a very Gary Oldman scene you know like a Gary Oldman in Tarantino film uh, like True Romance You know, like, you know, this idea of like this kind of barbarian psychopath who has no limits and uh, has these sort of weird uh, ways of making decisions, Uh, it seems pretty over the top to me. But I think what we're seeing is the cultivation of these different uh, forces that are going to become very important to the plot later, right? Because you have him, you have the Dark Army... You have White Rose, like you you have Krista, you know, now as we reach the final arc of the show, you have all these like very powerful sort of people and forces entering the battlefield, you know, like some sort of superhero movie where all of a sudden the Avengers all show up.
1: Oh, that's a really good comparison. And when you say it like that, I, I totally see how all of those pieces are coming into play. And, you know, then we go back to the bar scene where Mr. Robot sort of helped Elliot with his uh, warm intro to Olivia, and they end up hitting it off.
0: Yeah, it uh, it was interesting, this idea that somehow the Elliot persona would be tasked with closing the deal and getting her to take him home, given that the Mr. Robot persona seemed much more comfortable with doing the talking, right? So... Uh, exactly why that is and the symbolism of it, I I couldn't really figure out. But I did love the choice of music, the, the Matthew sweet, Sick of Myself. Is my I think so many... I think so many things in this episode kind of are symbols or metaphors for identity and self and uh, the aspects of one's persona that this song is such a, a great song because it's it's a perfect antidote to being a little bit too self-obsessed.
1: Yeah, no kidding. It seems like Olivia and Elliot have a lot in common. They both have been drug addicted and they both have lost a, a parent. I thought it was a really beautiful voiceover comment when Mr. Robot at some point in the episode said, you know, we have all sorts of words for orphans and, and widows, but what do you call somebody who's lost everyone?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's true. Like We don't really have this concept of someone who's been basically socially isolated. Uh, but I did have this sort of cynical thought about her character, Uh, I was wondering if they're basically just creating a hostage uh, for some sort of dramatic tension or plot device later, you know, because oftentimes with Elliot, people get leverage over him by taking his sister, taking, uh, you know, someone that he cares about and using that to force him to do something.
1: It definitely seems that the women in Elliot's life, and that may include Darlene down the line, we don't know, although she might deserve it, some might say. Uh, It doesn't seem like the women in Elliot's life fare too well. And, you know, that goes for Shayla, and it seems like Krista now. Wherever Elliot goes, trouble follows him. So I could see that happening for sure. And then this episode ended pretty quickly after that. We cut to... Uh, Elliot's apartment, where Terrell, you know, Terrell, the CEO of a giant major corporation, bursts into Elliot's apartment and says, this is what we've been waiting for. We've got them. We've got them. And Elliot scribbles, they're listening. But like, duh, Terrell, what did you expect?
0: Yeah, violating like all sorts of operational security protocols. Like if you're engaged in a conspiracy to someone, you know, it's not Uh, great practice to go over to the conspirator's house and say we did it (laughs) we did it we've done what we plotted and schemed to do
1: yeah too much too much and that pretty much ends the episode i mean did we miss anything major that we should discuss
0: no i think this was a, a episode that teases and tantalizes a lot i think it I think we have probably a couple more episodes of this and you know, different forces sort of interacting. Like we didn't see much of Dominic in this episode. Uh, and I suspect that the next episode will have her interacting with some of these forces. Uh, I think it's, you know, them just kind of moving pieces on the board and kind of getting it set up for the end game.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel like this season they've been relying on a lot of exposition, sort of cramped in there. I feel like it worked a little less well this week, although I did appreciate the early scenes with IBM and White Rose and their lover. I, I did love the beautiful wedding scene uh, where you got a sense of, you know, all this boisterous celebration and you see the groom sort of hiding away. I mean, it's just so sad. But uh, it was it a was pretty interesting uh, episode. Sam Esmael did not write it. Uh, one of the other um, folks who's involved in the show wrote it. And you can definitely get a different sense of tone, I think, as a result. Do you have any predictions?
0: Well, I mean, be- be- before I get into my predictions, I just want to say, I-, I wonder to what extent, you know, the way this show was kind of an opportunity for other people in the show to have a shot right? It's like you have people who've been working on the sh- show for a while, like director, uh, assistant directors and writers and people who have been working hard who didn't have an opportunity to hold the reins for a bit. And this is one of those sh- episodes where they're kind of given the opportunity to do that.
1: I think that's a really great point. And I think that, that there's probably something to that for sure, because you often see actors in different series take on Producing or executive producing credits, and I think even uh, Christian Slater and Rami Malek have those credits throughout this season as well different episodes if not all of them So I definitely think that is a a huge part of it.
0: So in terms of predictions, I would say uh, Keeping in line with the error codes 404 not found You know, it makes me think well, you know, what what are people looking for? Ah, uh, they're looking for a uh, White Rose's bank account. Uh, you know people are looking for uh, you know ways to expose White Rose. Uh, and something's gonna not be found. Uh, now you have Vera looking for Krista. Uh, you know, what's going to be found or not found there?
1: I can see that since we did learn that, white rose is waiting for her shipment to arrive in the in the congo that tells me it's it's a physical thing that's i mean for me it sounds like it's really big maybe it's not even a physical shipment maybe it's a package of data for all we know and that's what she's referring to as a shipment so we're we're getting a little closer to understanding maybe the nature of the shipment it's still pretty obscured i think you're right with your prediction about harm coming to both krista and to olivia and uh, i've also noticed that the actor who plays darlene i think her acting is has always been great but i think her acting is really good this season she's hit a pace that i feel like i don't know i just think it's subtle but i think she's been really good this season
0: yeah i've noticed that too i feel like she has a It would be really easy for her character to be unlikable and hysterical, uh, but I think she does a good job.
1: Yeah. Do you want to move on to what would you rather?
0: Uh, would you rather watch or no watch? Like a, well, a physical watch. Would you rather wear a watch or not have wear a watch?
1: It's funny you mentioned that because I have been adamantly no watch for a very, very long time. And recently, I've been thinking about getting an Apple Watch.
0: Okay, nice. Um, How about you? I, I would say watch. Uh, I have an Apple Watch. I, I worked on a startup a few years ago that w- launched an app uh, with the Apple Watch launch. So I've very can very uh, honestly say I've had an Apple Watch since the beginning, and they've become uh, much better as a device. Like initially, I felt like the, the Pebble uh, was actually a better smartwatch in a lot of ways. Uh, two, three years ago, I felt like the Pebble did a better job. But now where the Apple watch is, I think it's a pretty amazing device to have on your wrist.
1: It's funny you mentioned the Pebble. I saw the founder of Pebble speak a few years ago, and he was talking about what happened to Pebble because everyone I know who had a Pebble said it was a superior product. And similar to what I think maybe Fitbit might encounter down the line, it's just a problem of scale. It was just impossible to scale the product where they needed to go to compete with everyone and, and to keep up with the demand. And it costs a lot of money to launch a product like that, as you know, and he said they just didn't expect it. They probably didn't raise enough money. I, I
0: think. There's a lot of Kickstarter kind of companies and companies that uh, have some initial success that really run into this problem of scale, especially when you're dealing with consumers. Like how do you deal with customer support? How do you deal with service, warranty service? How do you uh, deal with supply chains and logistics and R&D? All these things where uh, you have to scale up really, really quickly and compete with companies that have much larger resources.
1: Okay, I have a what would you rather question. Sure. What would you rather, 5G or 4G?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, prefer 5G just because that gives me something to talk about.
1: Yeah, I think if 5G offers everything it says it can offer, I would prefer it as well. But that remains to be seen, although I understand in China, the 5G rollout has been pretty robust.
0: Yeah, I, I think... Uh, China and Asia have historically been ahead of the U.S. in their rollout of mobile technologies, especially mobile broadband technologies. I think we saw that with 3G uh, and 4G and all the 4G variants, and I think we're going to continue to see that with 5G.
1: I guess that's it for me. I mean, is there anything else we should talk about uh, regarding episode three of season four of Mr. Robot?
0: Uh, no, I think it was a, a beautifully shot episode that filled in some details and gave us things to think about and talk about, but I'm looking forward to some episodes where we get a little bit more action, uh, maybe some characters getting killed off for good.
1: <laughs> I hope they knock off... Vera pretty soon, but that probably won't happen. He's probably one of the big bads. I really enjoyed speaking with you about Mr. Robot, and thanks to all of our listeners. If you want to give any feedback, we have a new email. It's hellofriendpod at com. I thought it was more appropriate to use ProtonMail instead of Gmail for this podcast.
0: Yeah, and we should probably set up a, a public-private key uh, thing if we really want to get nerdy about it.
1: Good idea. Well, thanks, Henry, and thanks to everyone. Uh, Thanks for your patience uh, as we get back into gear with podcasting.
0: Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it.